This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, to what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok, and we are getting back to the rewatches here. We're working our way slowly, I'll admit, through season four. Not a reflection of the season, of course, just on the schedule. We've been having a lot of fun talking news with Alden Diaz in the last couple episodes. Be doing more of that. You know, having fun. Big good news to discuss. George R. R. Martin blog posts to discuss. It's it's always fun to go through there. But I've been having a lot of fun doing the rewatch and hope uh, those of you who are, uh, you know, I guess I can't even say keep it up because it's, uh, <laughs> it's it, 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 about one episode a month is, is the pace we're at here. But don't worry. Uh, the ultimate goal is to be doing rewatches, doing the news, doing Rings of Power, House of Dragon, all at the same time. And you can help make that happen by hey, making sure you're giving the podcast a listen, maybe a share if you see it tweeted out from our Morning Drive Media company account or uh, you know uh, if you're uh, watching on the YouTube side give us a subscription uh, you know ring that bell get the notifications but more importantly just be part of our community here where we don't just celebrate Game of Thrones A Song of Ice and Fire and all the stories within that world we also love diving in a little deeper and finding out why all of this truly matters to us. It's why we're here as well. Uh, Alden uh, is uh, been, has been, I should say, accompanying us on the news shows. Uh, next week, I'm hoping, or the next rewatch episode, hoping hoping to have Alden and Andres Cabrera join us for uh, the Mountain and the Viper. And that's one of the things, man. We are here today to talk about season four, episode seven, Mockingbird. Great episode. We're going to dive in, but this is truly a table-setting episode for some giant things to follow. The next two episodes, perhaps two of uh, my personal favorites in Game of Thrones and definitely have a big impact on the show and the fandom. So we're going to we're going to get to that, but let's dive in today. Uh, like I said, this is a look at season uh, four Episode 7, the 37th overall episode in the show, Mockingbird. Original air date, May 18th, 2014. The director, Alec Sakharov, uh, doing a great job. Uh, cinematographer turned director here with the show. And uh, Benny Alpha Weiss going uh, down to, as, in the credits as the writers here. But we know a lot of people involved with that. The previous episode written by Brian Cogman. Cinematographer again is Fabian Wagner. For this episode, he was nominated uh, for achievements in cinematography by the American Society of Cinematographers. I did not win that award, but uh, interesting. I love that this episode is uh, just 
shot beautifully, like so many of, of the episodes of Game of Thrones. Of course, it's definitely have an aesthetic, definitely have a look. This one in particular, um, check some stuff in Winterfell. Uh, not Winterfell, not uh, the stuff in uh, the Eerie uh, with Sansa Dreaming of Winterfell uh, were uh, some of my favorite uh, shot scenes here. Editor was Tim Porter for this. Uh, as I mentioned up top, we love looking at kind of the overall, uh, getting have an overall view of the episode here. Uh, this is a this is a table setting episode. Uh, we don't use that word filler around here, and there's no filler in these this episode. But it's it's a table set. We're a little at half past the halfway point of the season. Uh, you know, well past the two episodes past the halfway point. But uh, big things are coming. It's season four. We all know we're already looking at episode nine. Uh, previous year, the Red Wedding had us uh, going. The Battle of Blackwater, Ned Stark. Uh, episode nine is a thing. We're gonna get a giant episode nine. But it's fun to realize that this was setting us up for something huge in episode eight of this season. But in saying that it's a table setting episode, this is how you table set like a pro then because it stands up on its own. But when you uh, it's one of those episodes, I think when you first saw it and I I do remember having that idea of like, let's just I just want to get to what's next. I just want to get to what's next. And the Obrin speech at the end of this episode, we're certainly going to be talking about that. That absolutely just, and that's not even the end of the episode, but that's kind of the, all right, great, cool, connect Sunday, come type of thing. So uh, that's kind of where, you know, I, I, my memories of this episode, but um, watching it in rewatches, whether it's this one or the many other rewatches that I've done, this stands out on, as its own. And it's, uh, it's actually one of my favorite episodes. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you have the ability to just press next episode, play the next one, uh, I think uh, you don't worry about table setting or putting the pieces on the, the map and, and the game uh, board. Uh, you are enjoying the story. Uh, this episode, it should uh, be noted, had 7.2 million viewers upon its first go around. Uh, it's up from last episode, 6.4 million. As uh, we all Always talk about often the numbers for one episode really reflect the reception to the previous episode and the previous episode, the trial, um, a lot of stuff going on with the Tyrion had people wondering who is going to stand for him, who will be his champion. And therefore, the 7.2 uh, million uh, viewers was a record at the time for Game of Thrones. As we've said before, this is this is kind of peak Game of Thrones where it was the thing in pop culture. They were the kings and queens of Comic-Con, 2014 Comic-Con, um, which I was uh, there for and covering and uh, had uh, one of the rare moments where I actually get to go into the cool parties. It doesn't happen a lot for me. Uh, but this is the year and, and the cast was there and um, absolute rock stars, absolute rock stars. So these kind of numbers uh, make a lot of sense for the show at this point in time what is this episode known for well uh, two big things the title of the episode mockingbird of course referring to Littlefinger. uh no surprise there no great insight there uh but uh, this episode is definitely remembered for uh baelish killing eliza aaron at the end of the episode that is definitely a shoe drop ending really dramatic um uh surprising but also not surprising for Baelish which was part of the fun of it like is he gonna do it is he gonna do it oh no oh he did uh so we'll get to that there but of course Oberyn announces that he will stand for Tyrion and we are going to discuss that as well but I will say here right now this is if you're ranking scenes and maybe we'll start doing that around these parts on Casterly, Casterly Talk. I have a lot of fun uh, ranking things and listing our favorite things in Star Wars over on Force Center with Star Wars Ranked. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe casually talk, uh, uh, not, not casually talk ranked. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with something else. But I, I think it's almost getting that time where we can start looking back and putting things in uh, where we feel they should go or just our favorites. Uh, not a definite list, but uh, all that to say, if I was doing that right now, I think, go with me here. I really think Oberyn uh, standing for Tyrion is a uh, top 10 scene for me. Again, it's a personal list. No science. Nothing definite, not your list, it's mine. I, I really think everything about it, including the lore around it, this being Pedro Pascal's first day of filming, uh, uh, that's amazing to think. Not on usual, uh, you know, your first day doesn't necessarily mean it's your smallest scene, of course. Uh, that's how it works. But to step into this role and to deliver this, and then not to have the, you know, the scene shows up in the seventh episode and it is just a rousing, inspiring moment, which, of course, sets us all up for a lot of heartbreak if you didn't know that was coming. Uh, but at this point, and that's the thing for me in my experience, I always share my experience uh, through the show the first time around. By season four, I, I, again, I had become a book reader and always tried not to be a smug book reader. And what I mean by that is I had been a book reader by by three or four years at this point. Um starting the books after the, the show began, but this was the first season that I was ahead of it. Had the t-shirts that, uh, you know, that didn't happen in the books. And I had my, uh, night of the laughing tree t-shirt. I was, you know, you know, trying to show, trying to flex. Uh, I don't, I don't just watch the show. Um, this is, uh, this character in these beats were some of the first times that I got to act like you, you don't even know. You don't even know, which, you know, is smug and annoying and not necessarily my favorite thing, but I, you know, I, I got to enjoy myself a little bit in this season. Uh, so yeah, I love this scene. I love that moment and it is great. But also I think what this episode should also be known for is some of the best stuff with Aria and the Hound, both in action, both with killing, but the conversations, uh, the injury that the Hound suffers, which uh, allows him just uh, at first the walls are so up, but uh, by kind of sort of necessity, putting the walls down, pulling the walls down so, so Arya could actually uh, help him. But to get there, there's this wonderful conversation, a connection made. We'll talk about that in themes. I think connection, trust, always a big theme in Game of Thrones. But co connection and protection work really well together and sometimes are at odds with each other in these episodes. A lot of fun. Impact on the story. What's the story? How does this, uh, uh, this episode impact the story and us as an audience? Uh, I think a, a few things... One of them is very personal for me, I'll admit. Big sip of water there, I'm sorry. Um, the new mountain arrives. This is a big one. Uh, half War Julius Bornson uh, shows on up. Uh, the third mountain, Conan Stevens, the first mountain, um, replaced slash moved on. He went on to uh, the Hobbit trilogy as the lead orc there, and was reading a little bit about that to try to find uh, some of the reasons. Sometimes it's maybe the actor's choice, maybe he was going to move on, maybe, who knows. Um, followed up that, of, of course, with uh, Ian White, as, who was a stunt performer, taking over the mountain in uh, season two. There were castings in Game of Thrones, and there's a there's a lot of them, um, are, are, are sometimes, in fact, I'd almost say always puzzling. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons you might recast or reasons you might need to uh, recast to be sure. This season you got new Dario. That's what's one of the things season four is, is uh, remembered. Uh, you know, we know Tommen, uh, that kind of uh, uh, not recasting of young Tom, but also bringing back a performer who was already in the show. A lot of weird decisions, I think. And, and I'll say, I'll use the word weird. It, I don't know the answers to all of them. At the end of the day, doesn't really matter because I think the recastings always end up working. 
Uh, this one is, was definitely interesting because you get um, uh, uh, Bjornsson is is so much younger than uh, uh, um, Rory McCann. And it's not like they even tried to hide that, but you can always justify it by every time we really had seen the mountain before, you know, he's all dressed up in armor. You don't see a ton of his face. But then again, when you look back at season one and two, especially season two, uh, you know, a, a taller, thinner mountain sitting there um, and at, at the tables at the, the, the meetings with, with Tywin and, and all that. Um, it, it's, uh, it's hard not to uh, notice it. But at the end of the day, uh, this one really works. The 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 visual of Bjorns, especially standing next to Pedro Pascal and some behind the scenes photos they both uh, put out into the world via social media. Uh, I think the, the recasting does end up working really well for me. It's almost you know he's so huge at this time. He, he he's changed the shape of his body uh, since he's kind of retired from. Uh, the the weightlifting world, um, it, it, the change is actually dramatic. But he'll always be that tall. Uh, but to see Bjornsson uh, now, um, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's 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 pretty stunning, man. That is uh, quite a monster, and it works well. I think this uh, episode also some of the impact on us as the audience, the impact of the story is this. So what I call the rise of Braun. A lot of people, especially if you go into some of the wikis tracking the the. Rise of Bron, Bron, both in the books, and and this is take this, uh, uh, you know, with the Stokesworth stuff in this in this episode, uh, it it takes a lot, a lot of stuff in the books, a lot, a lot of little details changed, of course, um, but uh, the, the the Bron being one of the only characters who kind of keeps moving up, moving up the ladder, um, chaos is a ladder for Bron, uh, kind of comes to uh, almost a, a fever pitch in here from season five on. Um, I will admit, I'm a huge, uh, you know, uh, Braun fan, Jerome Flint's so great. And I love that he gets to go on in the show. It's not that I don't think they didn't have anything for him to do. This decision was made early on, I think as early as season two, to, to change a lot of the details about him. The overall, yes, it's going to be the same. But they just gave him more to do in the show. Uh, because why wouldn't you have this wonderful performer who's totally just embodied the role in, in, in this amazing, impressive, memorable way. So charismatic, so funny, um, it works. So all of, all of it uh, just kind of built to here. And then after this, the Dorn stuff and and uh, even the stuff, the bronze stuff in season eight might be, even though I love that season, if you're kind of new around these parts, I'm a big fan of season eight. But the bronze stuff does stand out as, uh, well, I guess he's still here and we got to figure out what to do with Braun. And do they hit a home run with that? I, even me, someone who's really positive on season eight in the show, maybe an RBI single with Braun versus a home run. But that that's another conversation for another day. But this uh, this episode really kind of uh, impacts our view on Braun, um, along with the decision he makes with Tyrion, but also his continued uh, rise through the land from Sellsword now to Lord of Castle Stokesworth, at least in theory and in plan. This big, uh, this impact uh, on the story uh, slash us category uh, can go to those little ways, just something we see on the um, on the episodes there, or or it can get very personal. And this one is uh, this is this is a personal impact. I hate Dario. Is he a good character? Is he uh, uh, um, is uh, Michel Huseman? Uh, is that even, I've never even, you know what's funny? I've never he's a great performer. I've seen him in other things. I've never paid attention to really how how to properly say his name, which is disrespectful of me. Number one, yes, but two, it's because I hate Dario, <laughs> and I hate Dario because I am 
Sir Jorah Mormont in real life and a big fan. Now, I will say this up top. This is a no incel zone. All right? No incels here. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen in this episode makes a very, uh, you know, strong decision of what she wants out of Dario and what she wants to do with Dario. And that is not only her decision to make and hers to make alone. I support it, stand by it, and understand it. So none of this is uh, any issues with her as a character uh, or this kind of situation in real life. But it broke my heart. It absolutely broke my heart. You know, and it wasn't even the, she makes Dario take his pants off. Again, good on you, queen. Do what you want to do. All good. All good. It's a Friday night. You're drinking wine. Go for it. It was that scene on the stairs in the morning. Dear God, it's a great little scene. She's in a good mood. Oh, my God. And George is kind of putting the head down. No one, it's not even that he thinks he lost or that he thinks he even had a chance. I don't think that's what's in George's mind. It's just, yeah, you got, I got this love for her. What can I do? I can only put into into different kind of energies and focuses uh, with her. And that's what this scene is about. That's what this scene is about. You can't overlook Daenerys and what she sees in Jorah versus what she uh, gets out of Dario. Uh, I think she has some real fear, feelings for Dario. I think Dario as much as I don't like him, is a very interesting character. Seeing Danny for who she is, uh, you're a conqueror, Daenerys. That's uh, basically what he'll say to her later on as she heads towards Westeros and we part ways with him, which was a moment I celebrated for a lot of these same reasons here. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's... She, she had... I, don't, I, I put a lot of value on what she does in these uh, two scenes. I got this with Dario. That's good. I know how to use them. I know where to send them. And then I got something of much more value, which is Jorah's heart, his support, his protection, and our connection, and the trust, and, you know, which, which will be broken and has already been broken at this time, which is an interesting side, side effect of any kind of the scene uh, when you watch, watch these kind of scenes with Jorah. You know, he's already, he's, he's, his heart's in a good place, but he's already crossed lines that even though he moved back over those lines, they're going to get him in the end. You know where it's going. So uh, the rewatch, this, these scenes even mean more to me, but uh, it is, um, it is, uh, you know, I, I can't deny <sighs> it hurt my soul a little bit. That bottom of the stairs scene with Jorah and Dario. It's, you know, because, you know, that pyramid's so tall. You, you're walking up those stairs for a long time. There's no, there's no elevator to take. No escalator. Maybe there's a dumb waiter pulley system you can get up fast. I don't, an early elevator of the day. I mean, nah, you're you're trucking those stairs, and you get up those stairs, and there's Dario, morning after, dressing in the hallway. Not a walk of shame at all. A celebratory uh, walk of uh, heroes from Dario there. Um, it just broke my heart. <laughs> but just like Jorah. I had to accept the reality and work through it. And gentlemen, if you're in that position in life, you better do that as well. Jorah had to accept the reality and take what was given to him here in that situation, which is uh, Daenerys's undying love and trust. <sighs> Something that he might have already broken. So, all right, I'll try to move on from that. We'll move on from that. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, all right. Uh, Arya and uh, look at it. Uh, sorry. Look at it. Uh, foreshadowing and things with more meaning here. Uh, Arya and the Hound. There's some great stuff there. Um, wonderful conversations. Perhaps some of the best 
Arya and the Hound stuff. I, I think we really look at Arya and the Hound as, you know, it is the sitcom across the, the uh, burning remains of uh, Westeros uh, post-War uh, of the Five Kings. And there's some wonderful moments at the beginning of the season, you know, with getting the, the needle back from Polliver, the chicken, the horse. There's so many, like, comedy moments, um, so many memorable moments of of action and, and violence, and as their connection grows, uh, we're all there. But I, I think this scene is the heart of it. It is absolutely the heart of it. And there's just more, um, you know, meaning. Now, there's uh, there's the surface-level one that at the end of season four we're going to get to. This is Arya and the Hound, uh, uh, you know, and the dying man, and uh, the Hound teaching her where the heart is, um, and talking about, uh, with the night, dying man, um, a little bit of justice, uh Taking, taking him out, uh, killing this uh, this already dying man, um, out of uh, you know sort of sense of of mercy. So you take that and apply it to Arya's sense of justice and mercy for the Hound. At the end, even all the, they have these connecting moments. Um, it is both ugly and beautiful. I think at the end for me, it's season four with with Arya, not killing him because of what he's done in the past, but also maybe because she doesn't want to. All those wonderful uh, questions. Uh, when you can try to get into the heads of the characters. Um, so that all, all this stuff here in this, this episode just takes on more meaning with each subsequent rewatch for me. And also just hearing Arya talk to the dying man, played by Barry McGovern, more on him a little bit later, uh, and her whole uh, nothing is just nothing line, seeing where she's at, knowing where she's going, and, and, and building, of course, to her finding value in something. Uh, towards the end of this run, particularly with the relationship with the Hound. I always talk about the season eight stuff and the final moments with the Hound and Arya because it's some of my favorite in the show. And from that, you go back and trace their beats along the way and what Arya is learning, what she needs to learn, the value of it, um, driven by vengeance, perhaps, but also built on uh, justice. And, and it's a big theme that always pops up in Game of Thrones, of course, and we're so rooting for her here and I'm not going to directly equate it to Danny's arc and, and where she ends up, where Daenerys ends up and, and what happens to her. But I, I think you see some of the stuff. Uh, I, I, Arya is able to break off and go on, on, on a better path and the right path because she had someone like Hound in her corner. Um, the connection that leads to somewhat of a protection for her later on. But these scenes just have um, a bigger weight. More emotional weight now that the show is complete for me. And there's just uh, some of uh, yeah, Maisie Williams and, and Rory McCann's best work, I think, is in this episode and in that moment where um, post uh, the, the fight with Rorge and um, Biter, um, his injury and, and, and him opening up. Uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, just kind of foreshadowing stuff on the surface level. Jon Snow's request to block the gate. Um, even then, in that moment... It didn't seem like a good idea. Just kind of seemed like, ah, let's put a pin in this one. We might be having a, 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 a rethinking our decisions here, right? Alistair Thorne and uh, Master Builder Yark. This doesn't seem like a good idea. John knows the lay of the land, so it's fun to rewatch uh, this one. Uh, and kind of know what is coming just two episodes from now. I love the scene with Melisandre in the bathtub. Uh, you know, who doesn't enjoy a good bath uh, after uh, being a part of this uh, wonderful, uh, dirty world there? Um, but then to have uh, Sleece there, um, it's always awkward. <laughs> it's an awkward scene. Uh, well played by both of them. 
Uh, one of my favorite lines is, you know, humor's not my strong suit. Yeah, that's 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 true. Uh, but this just seen the a lot of foreshadowing here for me of of what Melisandre is going to go through and what she might already be going through. This scene is very much about the lies of power that uh, is uh, and, and what makes power and 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 keeps in line with even things like chaos is a ladder. And Varys talking to Tyrion about a very small man can cast a large shadow and, and power resides where men believes it resides. It's keeping all that uh, stuff in mind. Uh, but I, I can't help but look at it uh, as um, through the eyes of Melisandre. Um, you know, she has a full understanding in this bathtub scene here of what she does, what she believes. I think she is connected with her purpose um, and it's a question of, is she selling lies all the way, all the time? Does she believe any of it? She's very open with Solis about the potions. This one's that. This one's to, to make men think this. And she has this great line, a, a trick that leads them to the truth. So clearly she has no problem with these lies, whether they be telling little jokes uh, or uh, selling the, the lies of these potions to, to make men do what... Um, not, and that's the thing. That's where I, I run up against it. It's not making them do what she wants them to do. I think she is in service to the Lord of Light. I think she uh, has uh, that in mind. But it is this idea of I'm telling lies. I'm doing all these horrible things to lead them to the truth. And I wonder if if uh, by this point she's already lost her deep belief in all of this. How much of how much of, of, of post meeting her in season two with Stannis post the battle, battle of Blackwater Bay post season three, how much of season four basically is Melisandre going, I, you know, I'm just, this is the job I have. I believe in the Lord of light. I believe in Stannis, I guess uh, we're going through it again. I'm, I'm not saying that as I have an answer for it. I just love watching this scene after spending time with her in season eight with the big final moments with her life and, and in season five and, and uh, meeting Jon Snow and what that might do. And then that leading to her doubting everything about what she does and doubting her skills, doubting her beliefs. That's a lot of the season six stuff with her, the lies of power. We, we know now it's funny. We know she's got the necklace, but in this scene, she does not, which a lot of people pointed out. I just, you know, the way I had candidate is uh, she had the necklace nearby and the necklace has a, you know, an orb of uh, influence uh, around her. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just a, probably just an oversight. Um, but you know, um, she's selling lies all the time. So at this point, at this point, is is she just going through the motions? But the scene does uh, set the scene for what's going to happen. Unfortunately, with Shireen and her horrible end. So there's a lot of just surface foreshadowing, and then just realizing that everything she's been doing so far. I mean, the the, the great thing about Melisandre, and even the religion that she is championing championing here is of all the religions in Westeros this is one of the only ones that seems to work that seems to have some sort of real power we all along with Davos saw her give birth to a smoke baby demon so um the old gods and the new it's the old battle which ones are actually true which ones actually Work and and the the Lord of Light uh, and uh, this whole uh, sect they uh, things actually seem to work. So to to have her here kind of go yeah it's all been working. She's telling the audience this is a reveal for us. 
everything you've seen me do so far, some of it might be real, some of it might not. It's all in the greater good of serving the Lord of Light, and it just makes me question how much um, how much she had already lost uh, of of her beliefs there. Um, anyways, just ruminations, thoughts. Again, no, no, um, no actual answers there. Uh, this is just part of the fun, and this this little scene um, just has more meaning for me now as we go on. So there you go. Uh, also, uh, foreshadowing things more meaning. I mentioned it all already, but Jorah and Danny and this—it's a—it's bittersweet again to watch for me. Um, but you know the way she takes this advice here, and then the way she takes Dario's but pulls it back and follows it uh, with with Jorah. But also knowing what Dario sees in her and the truth he sees in her, it's not quite angel and demon on her shoulder. It does kind of work like that for me, but. Um, Dario kind of sees what is there, and that is sometimes what Game of Thrones is about for me. Uh, it is not about the hope of tomorrow or, or lessons. It is what is right there, and how do you deal with what is right there? And I think uh, if both these uh, guys had been around her during some of the events, I don't know how John close Jon Snow would have gotten to her after the, the long night battle, the Battle of Winterfell. Um, he was already close. I know that, but um, Dario would have made it tougher, which is why she kicked him. Uh, told him to kick rocks, anyways. Um, but it's just you know, like Jorah pointing out, Ned Stark would have killed him if he used your philosophy. Is one of those. Um, it's almost like a sick burn moment, but it's just a poignant lesson, a lesson that Danny takes in that moment, but keeps in line. It keeps all of it in line with what she wants to do. Her sending his dar with Dario. Back to uh, uh, Yunkai. Uh, back to uh, not just uh, reconquer and reclaim and, and, and free, uh, re-free people there. That's part of the mission. But to really try to build a new world. I love the stuff that Danny says here uh, about uh, they can either live in my new world or die in their own. Um, I, I, I really understand that and I, I get that. And I don't think we're looking at the dragon queen here at the end. I think we're looking at someone who has a, a good view on it. I want to make changes. I'm going to have you make those changes or you've made that choice to not go forward and then we'll see what happens. It's a lot different than what she does a little bit later on. Um, thinking of um, burning of Randall Tarley comes to mind. Um, that is more of just burning the wheel, breaking it down. So, uh, to see, you know, again, we know that was part of the point. The, the people start getting peeled off from uh, Danny. Uh, the great, the, the advisors, that it's not that she's just taking their advice and following their lead. She's taking everything and mixing it into what she wants to do. And so it's tough. To, it's tough as a fan of Danny to watch what she has here and know that uh, slowly, one layer by one layer, it's all going to be peeled away and pulled back uh, from her there. Um, Oberyn's speech and his pursuit of uh, vengeance and justice, uh, uh, definitely important stuff and, and, and a little foreshadowing when you go back and and, and uh, look at it. Um, but uh, we can talk about that on its own. Sansa dreaming of home and also rebuilding Winterfell. Uh, we got the great scene uh, towards uh, the end uh, with uh, little sweet Robin coming there and kicking Winterfell. He's so wonderful at being annoying. Uh, great performance. Uh, so it's uh, on the surface, and I love that at the time there were a lot of those theories that here we go, Sansa's going to you know rebuild Winterfell, and and uh, that theory it came true. I don't necessarily think that this particular scene was meant for that. I think that's one of the things uh, when you look at shows that uh, have a lot of those theories and prophecies, and if you're just looking for those, um, 
you're going to miss the bigger points of the story. And obviously this, you know, clear, clear point here, of just Sansa missing home, something that we've seen with, with Arya, uh, Arya staring off at the twins before the wed, wed reading and, uh, you know, being so close, um, uh, to, you know, you know, to the wedding, but, uh, so close to home, so close to Starks and have it all whisked away. Here's Sansa so far away, uh, in the snow, in the eerie, dreaming of home. Uh, so there's the kind of the big point of the, of the scene, of the scene, but, you know, it does have a little, absolutely have a little bit of foreshadowing of, uh, building the, the, uh, ice, uh, the ice castles, uh, the snow castle of a version of Winterfell and, uh, and, what that will mean and where Sansa ends up. It's always fun to see that. She says that line, I'll never see it again. Well, that we know is not true. Um, and uh, Baelish talking about um, his uh, insights, uh, it's, it kind of ties into the, the the bigger themes, but I love his line right here. Of, if you want to build a better home first, you must demolish the old one. And I, I view that as uh, a little bit of that Kylo Ren energy of uh, destroy the past, uh, you know, kill it if you have to, which is uh, not healthy. It's not good. So nothing uh, super solid about uh, Baelish's philosophy here. I actually think uh, it's wrong. You want to build from the past, uh, grow with it, change it, uh, and move it forward, which is a little bit of how you're uh, looking at uh, Daenerys in in the stuff with uh, Jorah here. It's kind of what Jorah's preaching the the opposite of this. We're not going to tear it all down uh, just to build the, the new one. We need to work with what's there. We need to work with the people. We need to build something entirely new out of what exists and what we want. And here's Baelish going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just burn it all to the ground. Uh, the old uh, he'd be kings of the uh, king of the ashes type of uh, philosophy. So uh, even that and seeing um, taking this little moment, this little line and playing it forward in the show is uh, interesting. A little bit of foreshadowing here. So many wonderful scenes in this episode. I think because you could focus so much and understandably so on uh, the the Oberyn and Tyrion stuff a little bit later on. I do love the the Oberyn, uh, excuse me, the Tyrion and Jamie stuff in the first uh, scene of this episode here. Um, and this great conversation, Jamie being upset. Remember, we've just we've just had the all of you go to hell. I'll take a I declare a trial by combat, and I don't care what happens to me. Moment from Tyrion. That's how uh, episode six ends. Uh, but now we got Jamie mad at him. He'd worked this deal, this backroom deal with his father, which is what Tywin wanted from uh, the beginning. And and uh, just I love Tyrion not wanting to let his father win. Um, he says it felt good to take that from him. I love this moment for Tyrion and, uh, I absolutely, um, uh, think he's right. Uh, and, and not that Jamie hadn't struck a smart deal and one that would have kept Tyrion alive, but in his view, what's going to the wall, that's a certain kind of death and father wins. And I can't have father win. I'm tired of it. Uh, the stuff with Shay broke his heart, broke his will. But he still gets that win. So I just love that little follow-up. It's a great little, especially if you watch the episodes back-to-back. Uh, little moment I love. There's some little moments here. for Hot pie returning. And you cannot give up on the gravy. That's I've, I think there's got to be shirts of that. If not, there should be aprons that we sell, HBO uh, official store. Uh, you can get on that. I'm, you know, only uh, eight years after uh, you should have had it. Uh, love uh, the hot pie. Uh, was it Ben Hockey? Uh, is that I always forget to uh, look that up there. But he is uh, uh, he's really wonderful as hot hot pie. Just absolutely has uh, his own kind of special charisma and charm. And I love. Uh, I love him back, and I love that we're not done with him. I love that we get a little bit. Ben, yeah, Ben Hockey uh, plays Hot Pie. He said, there's a great note here reading the uh, Game of Thrones uh, fandom wiki, that they had cooked, uh, they'd baked 
70 separate direwolf bread loaves on that day of filming and then pick the one that turned out best in that scene. We'll talk some about talk some about the themes that come out of that scene with Hot Pie, Pod, and Brienne. But just love having them there. And uh, there's a great little line um, with Rorge and, uh, you know, Biter's dead. Rorge is there uh, and uh, Arya recognizes him and Hound says, he on your little list? Um, no, I don't have his name. What's your name? Rorge. Boom. Uh, she stabs him right in the heart. And you're learning. I love that exchange. There you go. There's some of the Hound and Aurea sitcom energy that we love so much. Uh, the other thing I love, um, not, not a ton of Cersei in this episode. Definitely talked uh, a lot about in, in the open scene. The only Cersei we really get is uh, her walking over the disemboweled uh, um, uh, prisoners, probably, uh, you know, uh, slaves uh, of uh, the castle being uh, tossed uh, to... Uh, um, the mountain there, uh, disgusting little moment, her walking over the palace. But uh, I love the exchange um, where uh, uh, she asked the mountain, uh, you know, you ready for this? You look good. Welcome to the castle. Was your, was the, your flight good? You're looking, you're looking good. And he says, who am I fighting? Does it matter? Mm, and the mountain does that head shake. Love that little moment. Uh, we don't get a ton of dialogue from uh, the old mountain here, but uh, you don't need it. You don't need it. And uh, that head shake said a lot. We're gearing up uh, in a great way, of course, just the way this episode was structured. You, you gear up with Tyrion. He he makes that move, takes the victory away from his father, and is just so certain, just so certain that Jamie's going to be there for him. And Jamie, nope. Bronn, nope. Um. That's what's running through this whole episode. But you set that up from the start. You got the mountain. So well uh, written. Just so well played. So well edited. Clearly uh, just that like, who's, uh, yeah, who's, uh, who's Cersei got? Uh, Marin Trant? I hope it's Marin Trant. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's it's not Marin Trant. And you cut the stuff with the mountain. Just a great one-two punch to start the episode, which just builds it up for what we get at the end with Oberyn. I, it's funny to think, I, I still even forget, even when I sat down to watch this episode, I, I still kind of uh, forget that uh, the, the Oberyn stuff does not end the episode. Uh, it, is, it is the Baelish stuff with Liza Aaron, and I think that's the right way. Again, this episode is, is called Mockingbird, um, and even, um, even though, uh, you know, you only really get that Baelish stuff at the end. I think he, he drives a lot of what's going on in this episode. The lies, the lies of power, connection, protection, trust, all those things. And it all kind of uh, flows into to him. And we'll get to some of those lessons here in a second. But it's just such a testament, again, to that Oberyn scene, but also how this episode is structured. Tyrion doesn't, need, doesn't have any help. Uh, he has no champion. Cersei's got this monster. We are setting up ourselves up for a main event fight, and it ends with uh, Oberyn and his wonderful speech. I keep talking about what I feel the themes, uh, the big themes are in this episode, and I, I put it down. Uh, and there's always different ways to look at it, but I, I always, I, I really gravitated to what I call this, this, this connection and protection, and how connection might be the best way to protect yourselves or to protect the uh, the ones you care about, protect your realm, protect the ones you love. Um, Tyrion thought he had a bunch of connections. He does with his brother. He does with Bronn. Um, but they're not going to protect him. He has to form a connection uh, with, with Oberyn. Oberyn forms his own connection, and it's this connection uh, based out of vengeance, and that is going to lead to protection. No, it doesn't actually is what we end up learning. So there's that 
at play here. I love the line. There's a little moment when uh, Tyrion's kind of uh, 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 getting into Jamie, needling him a little bit, mentions the Cersei stuff. Careful. I mean, I'm the last friend you got. And I think there's some truth to that. Um, so uh, is connection the best way to protect? Jorah's kind of putting that out there. Um, I think um, Jon Snow's trying to put that out there, how to protect the wall. Um, we got to figure out the best way to protect ourselves here, how to protect Marine, how to protect the, the, the queen. I think Jorah's campaigning for some, some sort of connection, some sort of uh, acknowledgement of the humans there behind it. And how do you build from that? Um, I, I think he puts it out there. George is absolutely wondering if Dario can protect the queen. Uh, doesn't trust her. Uh, doesn't trust him, I should say, for good reason. But in the end, what he is also saying, I stumbled on that there. But yeah, he's not he's not giving Danny uh, her full respect, not giving Danny the full trust to make the decisions that she feels is right. Uh, another example of it here, uh, you, again, going to the great scene with uh, the dying man, uh, he has this great line of there's no balance anymore is something that he says there. Uh, and it, it kind of almost gets into uh, that kind of Star Wars conversation of, 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 of balance and the idea of there's the light and the dark, uh, which exists and always exists. But there's people there who push the dark over on the light. And that's when you got to stand up and, and push the dark back. I think I actually think of what the, the dying man uh, played by uh, Barry McGovern here is saying is, is a little bit of that. This this was always kind of the the, the, the circle, uh, the, 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 you know, the the. Circle of violence. We've always been stuck in here in this land. It's always part of it, but now the it's 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 completely out of balance. Uh, and now uh, that thing when when they, when when Hound asks at the top of the scene, who was it? I, I stopped asking. I stopped asking. I I, I really think uh, that is kind of playing into this theme of of uh, how can you protect the land when all this is going on and it's all out of balance and maybe it is through some sort of uh, connection with those around you. And I think you have a lot of that going on with Arya and the Hound in this episode. Um, they, they, he still says, he still introduces himself as the captor, as her captor. Uh, but uh, by this point, it's clearly more than that. And uh, clearly they are uh, uh, forming a connection. And so anyways, all that to say, I don't want to get lost on that a little bit. I just, I just love I love the dying man here in this scene here. Uh, and again, Barry McGovern is a, an Irish actor who uh, did a lot of uh, work with like Samuel Beckett plays and everything. And that's where uh, I was reading the note here. I'm, I'm trying to find a little more detail on here. Uh, uh, Benioff Weiss, actually, they brought him in. They, they knew of his work uh, and brought him in for this scene. Uh, and it really works because uh, he is uh, an amazing performance here. And one of those uh, uh, things, yeah, he... Um, uh, he uh, did a lot of work with uh, waiting for uh, Godot and all that kind of stuff. And um, they uh, brought him in to, uh, 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 they, uh, here it is. They specifically named Barry McGovern for the role in the script. Uh, they're fans of uh, you know Samuel Beckett work, so they must have seen him perform there. So that's uh, that's great. I love that there. Anyways, I just think he delivers some of the the, the, the key parts of this episode, talking about what's going on on land and, and, how, and uh, you know, how do you protect um, those around you and yourself in this world where there is no balance anymore is uh, all there. Uh, and then we get, you know, Pod and Brienne in the dangerous game of trust uh, with Hot Pie. Uh, Brienne ends up being uh, proven right, if you will, in this scene. But I think you got to say Pod 
with his uh, caution, and uh, you never know who's listening. He's not wrong, but trust comes back uh, to uh, be what they both need here. And I love Hot Pie's line. You seem like a proper lady, someone who can be trusted. So out of this connection comes what they hope will be some sort of uh, protection, not just for themselves, but for the uh, the Aryas and Sansas of the world that they're trying to find there. All this kind of leads to the two big moments with Baelish and Oberyn. Um, Pedro Pascal, first day on the set, like we said, just uh, coming and delivering one of the best uh, monologues in Game of Thrones. Perhaps, I'll say, in all of television. That's why we love him so much around here. Uh, and I love, if you're looking at connection and protection, uh, just such a moment because we have learned now that that as many suspected, especially if you're going into theories and looking into the little clues of the story, Baelish is at the center of it all. From even before the show or this story began, he was already working his uh, uh, working his little backroom uh, plans and dealings and, and sowing the seeds of chaos. Uh, and he's already we've already got the great chaos as, in a ladder as, as a ladder speech behind us. He is behind it all. He is behind it all. And I remember at this time, not knowing where we were going, not knowing where we were ending up, I always thought, you know, Baelish had good odds to sit on the throne. What he'd be sitting on, a melted throne, the ashes around him, I don't know. But it just seemed to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the dark horse pick. Uh, and a lot of people were rooting for Baelish. But here's this episode where in, in an episode that's talking a lot about what connections do you actually have. How to how to make those connections and move forward to to build a better land, to bring things back in balance, to change things, and to protect those around you and protect uh, the realm here. You got Baelish, and his idea of protection is it's completely fatal, and it's only for himself. True chaos. All the connections he has are lies. You, that's why again you go back to that Melisandre Bath scene. She's saying it's all lies here. It's everything I'm selling here. Maybe one or two things are real. I don't even know anymore. They are all lies, just to get men to uh, find a point of truth here. But for Bela, she takes that and goes even one further. Everything he's saying, the connection uh, with Liza, it's a lie. Um, he's sell He's saying the only true connection he had with with Catelyn, but we know that's a lie because it was only from his point of view. Every allegiance, every house, he is truly, uh, his sigil, Mockingbird, the thing he created for himself. Um, He created his own story. He created his own power, created his own connections, and they're all lies to serve him. And it almost works out. It almost works out. In the end, I think he's brought down a little bit by the connections others have and the connections that he has broken along the way. So it's interesting, again, to see that this is the title of the episode, Mockingbird, and why that is important. Um, I, I really think you can look at this uh, this great moment. You know, I got nothing against Liza Aaron. I think she's been wronged, I, but I think she's done some horrible things. But who hasn't in this land? Kate Dickey is so great in the role. Um, I was, uh, at the time, surprised at the death. But again, surprised that almost like that I didn't see it coming in watching the episode for the very first time. Um and reading in the story, I should say, too, that, uh, it's just, of course, this is what Baelish does. But I think that Baelish is so good, and Aiden Gillen particularly, so good at selling his lies that even I sometimes think, well, maybe this one's real. Um, but no, all lies, great moment. Um, Kate Dickey, again, uh, this is her swan song here. Uh, she is so good, so good, uh, being just unhinged and uh, terrifying in her own way because of that. Uh, final thing, I just want to talk a little bit again of Oberyn. Uh, what about what I want is uh, such a wonderful line, such a wonderful moment. 
And we, yeah, we can pull a lot of themes out of here, but I think the bigger things uh, in this episode are the lessons we can learn from Oberyn, the good and the bad. But at this point, at the end of this episode, and the end of our uh, discussion here in this episode, I just absolutely think this is one of the uh, true moments of victory in the show. It's going to be, uh, unfortunately, crushed an episode later, but this is a, a rousing speech. It is. It, I remember having tears in my eyes. Tyrion is crying. Uh, if you you don't want justice, you've come to the wrong place. All that stuff, great moment. Pedro Pascal, uh, absolutely. If, if you didn't love him already and you were watching this, you got to love him now. You're there. The music swells. The stand that he stands. I will be a champion. It's so good. It is so good. So we don't need to even worry about the themes and lessons. Let's just enjoy this moment. Let's enjoy it. And in our minds wonder what would have happened if he had just been seeking a little bit more justice than vengeance. We'll talk about that the next time out. Thanks for listening or watching Casually Talk. It's a hot day in my studio, so uh, I can't talk as long as I normally do, which is okay. You don't need all my ramblings. Just go back and watch more Game of Thrones. You can follow me at Ken Napsuck if you want to go get more information on all the things I do. You can support uh, by uh, go, uh, going to my website, kennapsock.com. Got some upcoming comedy dates. You can get my book, Why We Love Star Wars. Also, things, uh, other things over there for you as well. We do have a Facebook page. You can like that, Casterly Talk. Uh, you can give us a follow on M Drive Media, Morning Drive Media, where we uh, tweet out stuff about this show. A lot more coming here on Casterly Talk. Uh, the podcast going strong. Go ahead and subscribe, rate and review wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, also, don't forget, if you if you just listen to the podcast, we do have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can go find that. Uh, subscribe over there if you want. Even if you're not really going to, even not watching a video, you don't care about my face, I don't care about my face. Give us a sub over there. We are are going to be doing some YouTube exclusive content over there. So that's why I want to let y'all know about that. All right. That is it for this week. We're out of here. Season four, episode seven, Mockingbird in the books here on the Casually Talk Game of Thrones rewatch. <laughs>